Good morning. The text for this sermon this morning will be from Mark chapter 4. We'll be looking at Mark chapter 4. I'm sure it's a, you know, when you look at it, I try to find verses that are new, that are unexplored. No, I can't find them. You know, it seems like when, you, when you've been around in church, uh, you know, I, well, I know it started in 61. Larry was here around that time, my mom and so on. And um, I was probably baptized mm, somewhere in the, yeah, who knows, 70, probably 72, I would guess. I was in the high school, 72, 73. But my point being that as long as, and many of you have been Christians a lot longer or just have been around the word of God a lot longer, and I think about, you know, how when Tom and I make up these sermons, we try to present something new. I know these verses, we will know. I'm going to try to present it in a different way. We're going to be in Mark 4 this morning. What I'd like to keep in mind is as we, mean, as we read Mark 4, is that Jesus is teaching a kingdom principle, I would say. And the people he's talking to are on the shoreline. A lot of them are farmers. They will understand the parable of the seed very quickly. Think about if you can project yourself back to that time period. I always like that. I love a, a good author. Um, James Patterson, there's a woman's murder mystery club. Uh, it gets a little bit gory at times, but I love the, the, the language that they use. That, uh, you know, like the way they describe things, you're almost there. Like the dust bunnies under the couch have been my friends for a long time. You get an idea that that person has visited that room and knows every aspect of that room. Things like that. So here are these people are, put yourself back in that time and Jesus is speaking to them. An old time minister made a trip to Israel a couple years ago. And one of the places he visited was Jesus's childhood, Nazareth. On the outskirts of modern Nazareth, they found and rebuilt an ancient watchtower, he said. And in addition, they added a model of a traditional home of the era. Plus, there was a workshop, and there were other buildings that would have existed back in the days of Jesus. But what caught his attention was the remnants of some ancient farmland. If you were fortunate enough back then to have inherited the bottom land down in the valley, you may have become a very wealthy man. But this section of Nazareth was built into the hillside, and they called it terrace farming. People in this area only had farms that were a little bigger than a good-sized garden, he said. And this land had a mixture of shallow ground. There was rock just about an inch under the soil, and as well as there were sections where the ground was fertile and would yield a good crop. Seemingly everywhere, there was a fair amount of weeds. And though you might pull a lot of them out, there'd still be still a fair amount still growing along the crops. In addition, the owner had access to this particular plot of land that there was a path that ran between his land and his neighbors. Now with the right tools, you might, just might be able to make all the ground useful. But we know that Nazareth was a poor community. 
with limited resources. So farmers did what they could with what they had. And as a result, the farmers grew their seeds everywhere, just hoping that some would grow. Their land was precious since there wasn't much of it. But the seed was comparably cheap. So as Jesus told the parable, he described the four types of ground that every farmer at that time period and around there had to deal with. Only, you would say only probably about one fourth of the ground was useful. And it was apparently hard to tell which parts of that land were fertile and which were not. But the fertile land would give up a high yield and was worth the trouble. And when you think about the parable of the seed, when Jesus describes what happens to the seed, he's describing what happens to it in real life. Mark 4, I'm going to begin in verse 3. Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. Hearken and behold. Hmm. He's using two words to communicate that whatever we're going to do, we need to stop right now and listen to what I'm going to say. Hearken, behold. It's like your wife saying, are you listening to me? They've got your attention. Pay attention. Or I'm only going to say this once. Notice that there's a sower that went out. There was a purposeful decision. And what is my point? Well, when it comes to sowing the word, it's not something that's done just haphazardly. We do it with a purpose. When you do something on purpose, you make time for it. It's not just a passing fancy. You make time because you're doing it for a reason. I know that when we planted the garden, I'm sure we all, many of us have done it at some time, that you had to make sure, I remember even as a young kid, the, the, my dad would make sure you, you put the seeds in correctly, and then you had the cover correctly, and then you had the water. It was a set procedure, and you did it with a purpose, looking forward to the harvest season and what would come of it. Verse 4 tells us, and it came to pass that as this sower sowed the seeds, as this farmer threw the seeds, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. When the sower sows, he reaches into his bag and he flings out the seed. He scatters the seed. He does not go back and plow the ground until later. Verse 5, some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth. Immediately it springs up because it had no depth of the earth. But when the sun comes up, these seeds were scorched because it had no root. And that part withered away. Verse 7, and some fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Another fell on good ground, and it did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 60, some, um, some 30, some 60, some 100. And in verse 9, and when he said unto them, he who hath ears to hear, let him hear. In the New Testament, it says that I, Jesus, am come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And in Timothy, it says that God wants all men to be saved and come to the truth. 
the knowledge of the truth. Remember back in Mark 4 and 9, it says, let him who had ears to hear, let him hear. I always thought that it was strange. Of course we have ears most of the time. He who have ears to hear, let him hear. And I start to think about that more. I start thinking about my mom saying that my dad could shut his ears off when he wanted to. And I started to think that that's what a lot of people in the world do, don't they? Really, they're saying, he who wants to hear, he who has a purpose and desires to hear, let him hear. Of course, everybody can hear. But how many people are really listening? Let them hear. Each of us have ears, right? So each and every one of us can hear. But are we making a decision to hear or not? Why are their eyes seeing and their ears hearing? It's because they're letting them see and they're letting them hear. So when we read these verses in Mark 4, Jesus is not the one preventing the ones from the seeds. He's not the one presenting them from seeing. He's not the one preventing them from hearing. They are not seeing or they are not hearing because of the hardness of their hearts. Satan can steal the word when we refuse to hear. Do you see this? What does Jesus say in verse 9? He who has ears to hear, let them hear. In other words, we need to hear and not only hear, but hold on to what we hear. And then encourage to turn and share that with others. So if this is the criteria for hearing, then look at verse 15. And those who have heard the word, but refuse to hold on to it. It says some people are like seed among the path, where this word is sown, but as soon as you hear it, Satan comes and takes that word away so it doesn't get planted. We see there are people, we think about the people that started maybe coming here years ago, but it didn't take long and they got discouraged and fell away. They, we maybe New Year's resolutions. It sounds like a good idea to, for me to start exercising. How many times have I said that each beginning of every year? Exercise, eat less, eat healthy, exercise more. But until we really make it part of our life, prayer life, that's what they're saying, reading the Bible. This is a time that many people get a desire to read the Bible all the way through. The Bible in a year. To make prayer part of their routine. We need to really be purposeful as we do this. So verse 16, and those are like the likewise are the sown on the stony ground. But when they heard the word, immediately received it with gladness. Verse 17, though, but they have no roots. The ground the rock is just an inch under the soil. They have no root in themselves. So they endure for a period of time. But afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they may become offended 
Again, these individuals did not trust the seed. One of the greatest problems as Christians is that we read the Bible, but many times maybe we don't truly believe what we read. We don't believe what we have read when persecution comes and people come up against us and life gets a little bit tougher. When we disagree with the, what the Bible says, there are people that will tell you they disagree and we, read, we, we reach an opposition. We need to strive forward and to teach. We are not going to fight for what the Bible says. I am guilty of that. I hate controversy, but I need to know that there will be controversy. God teaches us that there will be opposition in our lives. There will be constantly those that oppose, and I need to face that. Instead of saying, well, I'd rather not because I don't want to offend anybody, we can move forward without offending, and maybe it's the word. Instead of us, we got to realize what offends people, the word of God but we need to strive forward and to try to send that out. The person has no roots in themselves. Verse 18, and these are those which are sown among the thorns, such as we hear the word. And the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of the other things entering in, and it chokes out the word and it becomes unfruitful. Again, what happens? They did not trust the seed. They did not trust the word. There are many of us in the body of Christ today where possibly the world has replaced the word. We may not know it because we still go to church every Sunday. We give our offerings and we participate in worship. So we think everything is okay. But in verse 23, it tells us that every man who has ears to hear, let him hear. Hey, wait a minute. Isn't that what verse 9 said? Oh. He says that a couple times. I think he's trying to make a point. If you've noticed, I've tried to repeat this a few times. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Have you ever done something and completely forget? It's amazing that I know that some of us, I talked to Betty um, about Wordle and connections and things like that. I can solve Wordle and then a couple hours later, somebody says, well, what's the word of today? And I don't remember. I solved it, and I can't remember the word. I was doing connections. My daughter and I do that. And it was a tough one. We go back and forth. It was a tough one, but I actually finally got it. And I went, and she says, I haven't, I haven't gotten any hints. And I went to give her a hint. I can't remember what the words were. And I started to think, we can come to Bible study. It's sad, we can come to Bible study, we can study, and this happens to me sometimes, where I go out and my mom will say, today, what was your lesson on today? Well, hopefully I can remember. But if it was somebody else's, you think, wait a minute, what was the lesson on today? And I, and I, I just ponder that as a thought to me and to each of you. When we listen to the word, are we really an active participant or a passive? When we leave here today, do we only have church or would you only focus wholly, you would say, during worship or during Bible study? And what do we do the rest of the week? And many people say we leave God at the door. You'll hear that phrase. 
And I hope that we take it with us. And that's what Jesus is saying here. We need to have that hearing, taking it to heart, that we participate in what we do, that we have a root in what we do, that we can root. So several years ago, there was an advertisement which was placed in the New England area, up in New England. It was a newspaper. It said, unknown item for sale. Mm -hmm. It said, unknown item for sale. We know its value. We just don't know what it is. I thought about that for a moment. If you can, and this ad said, if you can identify it, we'll sell it to you for $250. Sometimes it's hard to decide what something is worth, isn't it? I've been told that when you're selling something, you can ask whatever you like. But something is only worth what someone else is willing to pay for it. Antique show. My wife hates that show, but I, I, I get appealed somehow. You know, that antique road show? And I'll put it on. I'm thinking, you know, I just love to see what these old things are. And somebody maybe paid, uh, you know, it was in their family. Maybe they paid 10 bucks for it at a garage sale or whatever. And they've had it. And then they find out it's worth like, you know, 10000 10, or $20,000 on the market. But I'm thinking, wait a minute. Who would pay that much? You know, I'm thinking that was that's nice to see. I like to see these old antiques, but I'm not thinking I'm paying that much. Well, it was a baseball. Maybe it was a traditional like sports, and maybe it was so and so's. You know, broke the record or whatever for the year season, and they sell these balls for like three million dollars. And I'm thinking it's a baseball. I have a baseball I caught from Kenny Lofton, a home run at Cleveland Stadium. Just this in my cupboard. I don't think it's worth anything. It hurt my hand. That's what I know the word. Well, I caught it. <laughs> I caught it barehanded. But, uh, but yeah, but think about what is the value? The value is what you're willing to pay. Years ago, a man was browsing at the New York City, or the, I'm sorry, the Music City thrift shop in Nashville. And he found an old yellowed rolled up document. It looked like it had the Declaration of Independence written on it. It was priced at $2.48. So he bought it. He was curious about it. So, you know, it looked old. So he did some research online and he sent it to somebody that he trusts that was one of these evaluators like they do on the Antique Roadshow. It turned out to be one of the 200 official copies of the declaration that had commissioned by John Quincy Adams in 1820. The firm examined it, determined he could sell it for $250,000. Hmm. $2.50. $250,000. The man ended up selling it to an investment firm for $500,000. So how much had that little scrolled yellow piece of paper, how much was it worth? Well, it was worth whatever someone was willing to pay for it. So now here's the question I'd like to ask you, and it's the title of my sermon this morning. What are you worth? What are each and every one of us worth? Jesus compared your worth to a lost sheep. He compared our worth to a lost coin, to a lost son. The Bible says you are worth so much that God gave 
his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have a everlasting life. Do you think God gave value to mankind? I'm going to add that. Why we were yet sinners, disobedient to God, God did this. Sent his only begotten son. That's how much we are worth to God. But not everybody agrees. Sigmund Freud, who was the founder of psychoanalysis, once said, in the depths of my heart, I can't help being convinced that all my dear fellow men, with a few exceptions, are worthless. And in the days of Jesus, the Pharisees seemed like they would have agreed with Freud. They often condemned Jesus for hanging out with what they called losers in society. What do we read in Mark 2 and 16? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And even today, there are way too many congregations that will follow, that, that will only um, allow certain kinds of folks to come to their church buildings and sit in their pews. So the question today is this, do we agree with God as the value of men and women? Being, as we see in those TV advertisements, priceless, or do we agree with Sigmund Freud that man has no value? And how do you know if you agree with God or Freud? Well, we can tell by understanding how much the lost and the struggling are worth each and every one of us. What does this parable tell us? Well, first, it's telling us that the sower is doing his job. He's throwing the seed everywhere. He's throwing the seed everywhere, and he's doing what he's expected to do. He's not wasting his time. He's not wasting the seed. He's doing his job. But who's the sower? Who's the person that he's speaking of in this parable? Who's throwing all that seed around? Well, we're not told, but I have a pretty good idea, and I think you do too. I think it's you. I think it's me. It's the preachers, the elders, the teachers. It's everyone who makes up the church. Anyone who loves Jesus is the sower of the seed. And so it's your job and it's my job to sow that seed. Someone may ask, well, what exactly is the seed? Well, what does Jesus say? What does verse 14 of our text say? The sower sows the word. We need to sow the word. We talked about that in our Bible study this morning. I'd encourage you to attend with us Sunday mornings at 10. We're in the James chapter 5, and we'll be soon finishing that and moving forward. So the seed is the word. But what word exactly? Well, let's go back to verse 17. Shortly after Jesus had been tempted in the desert by Satan, we're told, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent. What does he say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Later, when scribes and Pharisees complained about Jesus eating with the tax collectors, 
Luke 5 and 32 tells us that Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call the sinners to repentance. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he talked to the couple of men on the road to Emmaus. And we're told that when he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And that's in Luke 24, verses 45, 46, and 47. And then when Peter preached his powerful sermon at Pentecost and thousands of people were baptized into Christ, we are told that Peter's sermon was so powerful that the crowd asked what they needed to do to obtain God's forgiveness. I'm sure you remember what Jesus told them. Men and brethren, what shall we do to be saved? And what does Peter say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is in Acts 2.38. So what's the word? Here the word was repent, change, turn toward God. Quit trying to pretend you can do whatever you can in your life, whatever you want to, without God. The seed has to be sown. The seed is repent. If we don't sow that seed, if we don't call people to repent of their sins, then we're not going to have the harvest Jesus called for us to have. There's a magic team called Penn and Teller. Penn Gillette is a big guy. He's also an atheist. Sometime back he said that I don't respect people who don't evangelize. I don't respect them at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them because it makes it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them about it? That's Strong's words from an atheist. If you think that you have the keys to the kingdom, if you think that you have the path to eternal life, but don't share it with others, he says basically, how much do you hate that person that you aren't willing to share what you know about heaven with those people? Why did Penn say that? Because after a show, somebody offered him a Bible and told him about Jesus. Penn, from what we understand, did not convert to Christ at that moment. And still an atheist as far as I know. But he was very gracious, gracious with that man. Because that man respected him enough as a person to care about him, to tell him about Jesus. He understood that if heaven and hell, if heaven and hell were real, you would really have to hate somebody to not tell them about it. 
and not tell them about Christ. If you are a faithful sower of the seed, just like the guy in Jesus' parable, you're going to scatter it everywhere. Social media. Well, that's what we're trying to do. We need to do more, but in social media, we're trying to put our sermons out. We put a to broadcast out. We try to uh, make things available on Facebook or um, in our website itself. Or um, That's why we have the um, publications, House to House, Heart to Heart, being delivered to every house here in Chardon. We try to make people aware of that. But then we individually need to do personal, you know, invites as we talk to people daily in our lives. We need to do that. So in closing, I want to close with a true story of a Christian who was, he had his honeymoon in the Bahamas. He said, a man walked up to him and said, how would you like to buy some cocaine? Maybe you talk like it, I'm not sure. You can tell everyone how much you really enjoyed the Bahamas. The man replied, uh, no, 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 thanks. That's not for me. But then he began to think about how Jesus would have responded if somebody came up to him selling drugs. So later that day, someone else came up to him selling drugs. And that gave him a chance to share Jesus with that man in a creative way. After the drug dealer told him that he had the, uh, I got the good stuff. The Christian asked, what have you got? Well, once he said, I, I got cocaine, the Christian man said the following, is that all you have? I'm disappointed. I was hoping you would have something better than that. And then he goes on to say, hey, you see, I've got the real thing. What I have is all natural. It's pure. It's very powerful. And it makes me feel good all day and all night. And get this, it may be illegal in some countries, but not in this one. So you can't get arrested for having it. By this time, the drug dealer was very curious and asked this guy, hey, what's this incredible stuff you're talking about? And the Christian replied, I'm talking about having Jesus in my heart. It's awesome what he will do for you when you get him inside of you. No drug in all the world is as good as having Jesus inside you. I remember the song we sang way back when we were kids. I have that joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. The man stopped smiling. And he got this real serious look on his face and said, Hey man, I want what you have. How do I get it? Huh, would we know what to tell him? Here's the deal. Too often people immerse themselves in all kinds of things that they consider important. Maybe their jobs. Maybe the political affiliations. Maybe various forms of entertainment. Even drugs and alcohol. But somewhere in the backs of their minds, it's often a feeling that this can't be all there is to life. Somehow, what they're made to focus on in their lives isn't quite as satisfying as what they once thought it would be. If you listen to them closely, you can hear their dissatisfaction. It's at times like these that we have the opportunity to talk to them about what life really can offer what there is that can satisfy. And there's only one thing, that bread of life, the everlasting. It's 
at times like these that we can make them hunger and thirst after righteousness for Jesus. Times when we can convince them Jesus is better than anything that they've ever had. Those are the times that we have to cast the seed. This morning, we look at our lives and we ask, are we casting that seed that we are asked to do? We ask, look at ourselves. I'm looking at myself this morning as I look at this sermon and I ask myself, myself, am I really hearing God's word? Am I really hearing? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. As we hear, we do. We hear, we repent, we confess. We are baptized to walk in newness of life. That is what we look at. We look at heaven and hell. We look at how we can overcome that by planting the seeds, sowing the seeds. We think of that song, are you sowing the seeds of the kingdom brother? This morning, if you're in any need of the invitation, you have that opportunity to come as together we stand and sing that song of invitation.